Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We are going to start off with a prayer because I need it this morning. (laughs) Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truths that we find in it. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we uh, look and read and try to gleam from your, the pages of your word this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, does everyone have a paper? All right, so the pa- chapter 2, um, we see Paul talking to two groups of people. And the latter half is what we discussed last week, and that is Paul specifically talking to uh, the Jews, um, Jewish people, and uh, talking with them specifically about being Jew, and then as well in the latter part of the, the end of chapter 2, he talks about their circumcision. So when we get into chapter 3... Paul, uh, Paul often does interesting things when he's writing, and this is one of those times. Paul attempts to answer questions from the Jews about the statements that he made in those um, passages. Now, as we read verses 1 through 8 here in chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul begins to answer, or ask us several different questions and answer them as well. And a lot of it pertains to what he said in the, in the chapter 2, but also just anticipating questions that might, have come, might come up. And as well, Paul is um, probably answering or bringing up questions that he has uh, heard them say. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, as we get into this, sometimes uh, as we study, Paul is, um, I was explaining this to my wife this morning, sometimes Paul spells out what he's saying and, and the meat of it is like you cut it on a butcher block and it's just laying there and you pick it up and you can eat it and it's super simple, it's just right there. Sometimes Paul writes, and it's like it's inside of a clamshell that's buried under dirt, and you have to really dig in and pry, and oh, there is meat in here, but I don't know what it is. And that's kind of what this section can feel like when you just skim over it and read. If you just skim over and read this section, you're not going to have really a whole idea, a whole lot of an idea of what it's going to be saying. So as we go this morning, uh, let's make sure we put our thinking caps on. If you have questions, please ask. Uh, and if I'm talking and you can't get your question in there, raise your hand. And if I don't call you, then maybe throw something at me and stop me and say, hey, I have a question here. That applies to everyone but Katrina because she will actually do it. All right. And so, <laughs> all right. So this morning... The questions and so on that we're going to to endeavor to get on, uh, again, stems from chapter 2, 17 through 29, okay? And so, your first blank there, it says, Paul asks, that's your first blank, and answers eight questions in these verses, okay? So, 
how this works out is verses 1 and 2, there's a question asked and an answer given. Okay, so verse 1, there's a question asked, and verse 2, the answer is given, and that kind of follows that pattern. Verses 3, there's a question, and verse 4 is the answer. Okay, so that's how this unfolds. <clears throat> Turn my phone off here. Here. Um... So, verses, verse 1 says, then what? Okay, then what? The then refers to what he had just said in chapter number 2. Okay? Do you have a question, Joseph? You just look like you're in great thought. <laughs> okay, you're good. All right. Then what advantage has the Jew or what benefit... Uh, of circumcision okay so if you read and you remember what we talked about and especially here towards the end it talks about the Jew you know it, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're saved just because you've been circumcised doesn't mean you're saved and so you could draw the conclusion as a Jew like well there's no benefit there's there's no reason that we should even be excited about being a Jew or with circumcision and so Paul is anticipating that question here. And so he goes through and begins to answer or ask questions and answers. And basically he's having a conversation in his letter with these, with these group of people. So it's, it's going to be written in a way like they're saying it and he's answering their question. But this is all Paul. He's having this conversation with himself uh, to explain what what might be going through some of their minds and also what he does know what some of them are thinking. Am I being clear there on how this is working? Okay, so we're going to stay here on verse 1 here for just a few minutes and really find out what he's saying, verse 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? So that's his first question there. You can see there. And what advan or what benefit is circumcision. And then he gives the answer in verse 2. Great, okay, that word great, it, 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 it embodies every thought that we can think of the word great. Great in every respect, okay? So he answers the question that, you know, maybe some of the Jewish people were going to think when he says, what advantage does the Jew have? I think some of them might, were going to think, well, I guess there isn't an advantage. And Paul completely squashes that idea that they don't have an advantage. And he says, your advantage is great. And then he says, first of all. Now, the, the idea here, Paul is so passionate about what he's going to say of their advantage that he says, first of all, meaning that there's going to be a list. First of all, and then he, he, he talks about what he's going to say. And so we would anticipate that there's going to be more. There's going to be a second, third, and fourth thing. Paul gets so consumed with this first point, he never mentions anything else. So the idea given here, when he says, first of all, this is first of importance, and this is the main idea of why they have an advantage. Okay, So it's written like there's going to be a list 
But Paul starts off with number one on the list of importance and never goes anywhere else except for there. Okay? So first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles or the word of God. Okay? The oracles or the words of God. This was such an incredible advantage for the Jewish people. They, in the Old Testament, had the actual written Word of God that they actually possessed and could learn from, could know. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And then we're going to give some application and then we'll move on uh, to the, the Paul's other questions that he has okay so what advantage does the Jew have they the advantage that they have is they had the Word of God or the oracles of God given to them such an amazing uh, unbelievable advantage that they had okay now if we go down um, into the answer there it says they were given God's Word Okay, somebody grab Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy chapter number 4, 1 and 2. Joseph, Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. This talks about how they were given His Word. Okay, so this is a clear picture that God has given them the commandments, the Word of God, the books of Moses. All of that in Scripture was given to them. So an advantage there. Okay, the second point here, uh, it contained the truth about salvation. And we are specifically here, when we talk about God's Word in this context, Remember, we are specifically talking about what? What part of God's Word? Yes, the Old Testament. So, the Old Testament is what we are talking about. So, when it says it contains the truth about salvation, we all already, we recognize that the New Testament contains much truth about the, the salvation, right? That's obvious. Here in this context, the New Testament is being written. It has not taken book form yet. The Old Testament has. And so when Paul is writing to the, the Roman Jews here, he, was, he is saying the Word of God, the advantage that you had is you knew the idea and understood the idea of salvation through the Old Testament. And how we can get that is Paul again explains it in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3, 15. Someone grab 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. We just preached on this. Yes, ma'am. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. And that goes, that's connected to God's Word. And then it contains the truth of salvation. That's 2 Timothy 3, 15. Someone have that one, Mike? 
Okay, so Paul is writing to Timothy here and says, From childhood you have been given the sacred writings which will, in essence, benefit you for salvation through faith. Well, what is Paul saying there? He's saying the Old Testament shows us salvation. We can, we can know and become saved by reading and understanding the principles and uh, seeing Christ uh, in the Old Testament. That is exactly what Paul is telling Timothy there. And this is what the advantage of the Jews had. The other nations around the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament did not have the Word of God specifically given to them. But the Jews did, and they, they had the truth of salvation. The third point there, it contained the truth about the Gospel. And the Gospel in Galatians, the word there is Gospel, in Galatians 3 and verse 8. Galatians 3 and verse number 8. Someone want to grab Galatians 3 and verse 8. Okay, Jess? Okay, so a, a basic understanding of the gospel was given to the, the Israelite nation and specifically to Abraham and saying that all the world would be saved through Abraham's line. Okay? And so we understand that, and that's spelled out throughout the New Testament. Okay? So, are we clear? Did it, we, hopefully, we're clearly identifying what the advantage the Jews had, and why Paul says you have a great advantage. And how I want to explain that for us, and to, to bring it home, like last week I talked about. The Jews, the, in, in chapter 2, it says that they were being, um, that God was being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jews, right? And I made the analogy that God is being blasphemed in Payson, Utah because of Orchard Hills Bible Church, right? So we're standing up here, and I, and I were to to say God's being blasphemed because of the actions of Orchard Hills Bible Church or Payson Bible Church, that would be convicting to our hearts. And that is what Paul was saying to them. Here, Paul is saying, you have a great advantage because of the Word of God. And if we were to illustrate that uh, to us as believers, I would say we as American citizens have a great advantage over the world in that we have freedom to believe and hear the Word of God. Yes, ma'am. Not only great, great, great in every respect. Yes. There, there is, it's an, an, an enormous advantage that they have. And if you think of us as an American citizen, and I would, I would put that under... Uh, the advantage of the Jew, the, the advantage of the American, belief, uh, the American citizen is that we have access to the Word of God that in many countries we don't. 
We can go on the internet and get it. We can, you know, in my house alone, I probably have, I would say, 15 or 20 Bibles of different translations and so on that I've had over the years. Some have worn out. I have one that my dad preached from. Um, I have personally uh, three that I study from. Uh, so what an advantage the American uh, citizen or someone that even just lives in America has. We have a great advantage. And that is what Paul is, is a similar idea that Paul is giving to them. And then uh, the, what benefit is circumcision. What I would say is, Ariel's illustration today, is we have the church and we have such a great benefit to us because we can hear and learn and, and know the teachings of the Word of God from the church. So not only do we have the Bible in our home and free access to that, but we also have the ability to come and learn uh, the Bible at church. And so we can take it to our heart or what the, the same idea that Paul is relaying to them is we have a great advantage because we have easy access to the Word of God and we have unrestricted access to the church, now which is kind of in some places in America being a little bit restricted, but uh, you still have freedom to, to hear God's Word here in America. And so I would challenge us today to understand we as Americans and as church-going people have a great advantage in that we have God's Word so readily in front of us. If we go to other places in the world, they have to hide their Bible. They have to talk in code. I have a... Uh, a, a person that I know uh, that has a family men member that uh, is in China. And man, if the, any kind of correspondence, they, it all has to be in code when they talk about ministry or anything because if they're found that they are in, teaching God's Word or holding Bible studies, or, they'll, they'll be arrested, put in prison, uh, their family you know, tortured. All kinds of things will happen and possibly even executed. Okay, and that, that happens all over the world. And America is not the only place that is free to, to know God's Word, but that's where we are. And so there's how that would tie in. Yes, Joe? What would be the threat? God's Word is always a threat to those that are against the teachings of God's Word. Uh, well, because if they were to, if people were to follow the principles in the Word of God, even in our country today, in our specifically country in the United States, if our government followed the principles in the Word of God, it would completely take the majority of their power away, and it would make things fair, it would make things correct, it would cause, a lot of it causes the government not to have as much power as they think they can. And um, you, if you look at our government, we legalized abortion, right? 
Well, the Bible obviously talks clearly about that. And so uh, in other countries, they don't want the Bible dictating what they can and cannot do. And so that aspect is why they would outlaw it. And then if we go to Romans chapter number 2, it spells out that men are haters of God. And this is God's word. And so if men are haters of God, then they're going to suppress God's word and count it as false or a lie and, and say that you, are no, you cannot hear it. Okay? And, and there's, so there's multiple different reasons why uh, different countries would suppress the truth of God's word, um, but that is, that is one major one, that God, men are haters of God. And because we are haters of God, uh, as it says there in Romans 2, they would suppress any truth in the Word of God and not allow it to be heard. Okay? So that, that's what's there. So do we understand kind of by me saying that we are American citizens, so we have an advantage? We are part of a church. We have an advantage. It's the same idea uh, given, but even probably in a greater sense for the Jews because the Jews were the only ones that had the Word of God. The only ones that had the Word of God. So great, great advantage that they have. Any questions or thoughts on verses 1 and 2? Yes. Gospel. Any other thoughts or questions on that section? Yeah. Through his word. Yes, great advantage. Entrusted with the oracles of God. What a statement. They were entrusted with God's word. Okay? And so on this basis is where Paul does the, the next six questions that he has. Now, we're going to attempt to read this kind of slow and really try to to see what Paul is getting here in his next questions. Okay? So the first two is what advantage does the Jew have? What benefit is circumcision? The answer, it's great. There is a great advantage that they have. Okay? Because they have the Word of God. In verse 3 it says, what then? Okay? So this is the question that he's going to propose. What then if some did not believe? Their unbelief would not nullify the faith of God, would it? Okay? So there's two questions there. What or if some not, did not believe? Okay? This is... Paul probably is... Uh, and sometimes Paul steps maybe back from being really harsh uh, and, and maybe is a little bit kinder here uh, than he maybe wanted, even a, thought he should be. Because the, the statement Paul could make here is if 
many did not believe. Because if we look at the Jewish nation as a whole, would we say that the majority were believing, following uh, lovers of God? Or would we say that the majority of the Israel nation throughout history were deniers of God and rebellious against God? Which one would we say is true? The latter. That the majority of the Israelite nation were fought against God and rebelled against God. But Paul here kind of is being a little bit softer in his way he says that. He says, if some. Okay? Now, we, we would think that there's more, but he's, he's not wanting to be so harsh that he shuts off the reader and they say, I'm just not going to deal with Paul, right? And so that would be quite the slap in their face for him to say, the majority of you guys uh, did not believe, all right? But he says, if some did not believe, that's the first question. Then he asks another one, okay? Their unbelief would not nullify the faithfulness of God. Okay, so he asked them a question. If they don't believe, does their unbelief nullify God's faithfulness? What do we think? What, are you seeing where I was saying this? This isn't this laying on the table easy to understand. Okay, and so as we look at that, I, I was reading that last night, and um, as I was concluding my studies and um, struggling with, wow, how does, how does this work? Well, when we read the answer, we understand. May it never be. So, God's faithfulness is true whether men believe or they don't believe. And Paul began, he throughout all of these questions, kind of ties all of these ones together. But just because the Israelite nation didn't believe, that doesn't negate God's faithfulness. Do we understand what Paul's argument there is? Just because they didn't believe, and that the, the, uh, some of them or the majority of them did not believe, does not nullify the faithfulness of God. May it never be. And the statement there in verse 4, his answer, may it never be, there could not be a stronger answer for that. It is a very emphatic, a very strong, uh, as you could see if he was preaching, he probably would have hit the pulpit hard and said it loudly. May it never be said that God's faithfulness is nullified because some un do not believe. Okay? And it says there, rather, in, uh, in the answer, rather, uh, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Okay? And we'll get to the, the last part of that here in a minute. What he is saying here in his argument it, it, that may it never be, rather let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. The idea Paul is giving here, though every person on earth believed one way, okay? And it was contrary to what God taught. If every man on earth, man, woman, child on earth, 
believe something contrary to what God taught. Every single person. God is still the one that holds the truth. So that we have no truth in us outside of God. Does that make sense? So the statement that he makes here, may it never be, rather let God be found true. God is true, though every man be found a liar. That is the idea. So if all men were persuaded against God, God is still the one that is true. And your persuasion is a lie and wrong. Okay? So he is being very clue, arguing the fact that God is true and cannot lie. Someone grab Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter number 1 and verse 2 talks to the fact that God cannot lie and that He is the one that holds truth. Okay? Yep. Okay, so very simple verse. The hope and the, the God that cannot lie. If he cannot lie, he is the holder of truth. Okay? That cannot be said about us. We cannot say the, in, in us that Mark, the one that cannot lie. Okay? That, that cannot be said. The only being that that can be said about, don't be asking my wife that either, all right? The only being that that can be said. <laughs> Uh, the, only per, the only being that that can be said of is God. God cannot lie. And though all men would reject God, God is still the one that is truthful. And then it says, It is written what you may be, that you may be justified in your own words and prevail when you are judged. Okay? And if you want to know where that's written at, that's in Psalms 51 and verse 4. Okay, Psalms 51 and verse 4 is where Paul is quoting for him. And if you know what Psalms 51 is about, Psalms 51 is a psalm of repentance from David. Okay, David had just been confronted uh, by the prophet for his um, relationship with Bathsheba. And he was confronted, and Paul and, and David here is repenting and, and showing his uh, guilt before God in this in this verse, and recognizing that God is truthful and God is holy, and that he uh, was uh, wrong, and that's where Paul uh, is is talking or brings this up uh, and reminds the reader. Uh, of what David's words are in verses in verse four there. So, any thoughts or questions uh, on those second and third uh, questions and answer that Paul gives? Any thoughts or questions there? Is that making sense? Yes.
absolutely. Yeah, and he, you know, on, on what you're saying there, he, he gets into that because Paul was accused of some things, and we'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of where he's going, but he, he begins to even touch on what you said there about our sinfulness and God's grace. And uh, when we get into verses 5, 6, and 7, and, and 8, um, it's a very uh, weird and very... Um, odd question that the Jews would give and, and ask in, in, on, on how you understand the relationship between man and God. Okay, So uh, any other thoughts on those two verses there? Just because they don't believe, or re even because they reject. You know, there's a difference between not believing something and rejecting it, right? And some of the Jews did, just didn't believe, and some utterly rejected Him. Either one, God's Word is still true and still faithful to the end. Um, and His promises in that. So, good, good insight. Okay, so let's get into verse 5 and 6. Okay, 5 and 6, this is the fifth and sixth question uh, that Paul uh, asks um, the reader here. But if our, let me see here, read it out of here. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, okay, so that's, does our unrighteousness demonstrate the righteousness of God? What shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Okay, he's speaking in human terms here um, that we would understand. Okay, so what, what is he saying here? What, what is the gist of what Paul's question? See if you guys are following along and, and, and getting his thought. What do we think that Paul is, is getting at in verse number 5 with his, with his questions here? Yeah. If 
but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? God, the God who inflicts wrath, is, is he unrighteous? Because our, our sin, in essence, demonstrates his righteousness. And so if God inflicts wrath upon us for committing sin that ultimately glorifies him, is he wrong or is he unrighteous in doing that? That's a weird argument, isn't it? That is a that is a argument that it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, but this is the argument that they were having. That if our sin ultimately glorifies God, then how can he judge us for sinning? That's what they're saying here. And that was an that was something that they were accusing and we'll see that in verse 8 as well. Okay? Um but he gives an answer and he's just in as, as emphatic in verse 6 as he was in verse 4 in his answer. May it never be. For otherwise, how would God judge the world? How would he judge the world? He couldn't righteously judge the world if that was a true statement. That it, he would be unrighteous to judge people that sin that ultimately glorify him. And, and, and you can see where the, the, you have to read slowly and, and make sure you're tracking with Paul's thoughts. And I would really encourage you as you're reading ahead and studying the book of Romans, don't read it like you're reading the Bible in a year. And what I mean by that, don't just read it and move on. Spend time, and if you don't understand or if you say, if you're, if you're reading along and you say, I really have no idea what I just read. Pause your Bible reading, back up, and slow down and try. And if you're still not getting it, that's why Dean and I uh, are, are here to try our best to expound on the, what the, the author is trying to say. But slowly... And methodically, we're going to go through the book of Romans, and I would suggest as you read on, that we're going to hit several passages in the book of Romans over the next several months that's going to cause you to pause and say, wow, I have no idea what he just said there. Okay, because as I read, I'll say, wow, I have no idea what he just said there. And I've got to pause, and I've got to read it, and reread it, and read it, and let it digest, and and I was teaching the kids on um, Wednesday and talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's, uh, the benefits we have with the Holy Spirit as the believer is that He clarifies things that are in the Word of God that oftentimes is not clear to us. And so that is a benefit that we have. Alright, so... The argument that they give there, Paul says, it cannot be a true argument because then God could not judge. All right? And if we go to just turn over a page to Romans 2 5, Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, But, uh, but because of their stubbornness and un, uh, unrepentant heart, you are uh, strong, stirring up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath. And um, so it, it's the, the verse here 
is talking about the day of wrath and that God will judge. These righteous judgments of God are coming. Okay? And so Paul establishes that thought in verse 5 and then again says that he is going to be our judge and that God is righteous in his judgment of sin. Even though, and, uh, even though we sin and God's judgment is what makes his righteousness righteous, not our sin. Okay? Any thoughts or... Uh, ideas or questions on five and six. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. We're, yeah. God uses uh, every circumstance to His, because He's sovereign. God is sovereign. So everything that happens, happens and will glorify God ultimately. But that does not take off our responsibility for our actions. We, and that's exactly what um, Mike was sharing there, is that we are ultimately still responsible for the actions. And so, and Paul is going to uh, say this again here in his next set of questions. Okay, yes. And that is so far from the truth and it's so far from uh, anything that would be uh, what we would understand of God's character. God's desire for mankind and specifically for believers is that we do not sin. Not that we sin so that He can be glorified. Okay, that, that is not God's desire. And Paul gets into that here again in verse, um, he clarifies himself, or he clear, clears up the matter in verse 6 and says, that cannot be, otherwise how would he judge the world? There's, God would be basically handcuffed at that point, right? You know, he cannot judge because he's glorified in sin. That, that makes no sense, okay? We are... We are held responsible and we'll be judged. Um, mankind will be judged for our deeds. And when we become believers, we are released from that judge because of his saving grace. And that's what we will begin to unfold that in two weeks. Okay? Two weeks. Dean gets the privilege of teaching one of the probably the most amazing chapters. And uh, uh, sections in uh, in Romans, and that is there in 21 through 31. Okay, but we'll have two weeks before we get there. All right. So, <clears throat> um, 
in Psalms 50 and verse 6, we'll just write this down. In Psalms 50 and verse 6, it talks about he will judge the world and, and he is the judge, okay? It's just another verse for you there that talks about him as being the judge. Psalms 50 and verse 6. Now in verse 7, he says, But if through my lie, and this is Paul talking, but through my lie, the truth of God abounds in his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And so the questions from 5 uh, are bleeding in, and he's continuing that train of thought, that if I lie, the truth of God is more glorious, more wonderful, more amazing. And the idea, the illustration that being given here is uh, if you've ever gone and bought a diamond or looked at a diamond, what they often will do is put a diamond on a very, very black, dark surface, a sheet or whatever, which causes the diamond to sparkle and to really be beautiful. And that's the idea that Paul is saying here that their they're thinking is that if my sins, my lies, my deceit is like that black sheet and God's glory and God's righteousness as is the diamond, the diamond will be even more glorious because of my sin. You see the, the bad train of thought that they're having here? That they're giving, they're giving freedom to sin and the, the right to lie and the right to, to be dishonest because ultimately my desire is to show God's glory more. Yeah, the, the idea is that my lies cause God's glory to be greater. And that is so far from the truth. God's glory is great and His truth is great regardless if we lie or not. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I know I can. It's my wife's fault. <laughs> it's your excuse for everything, right? The woman thou givest me. No. All right. Move on before I get myself in more trouble here. All right. So, the, Paul again begins his argument here and says, Though I lie, his truth is abound in his glory. And then he asks the question, Why am I still being judged as a sinner? How is this fair to me? If my sin glorifies God, why does He judge me as a sinner? Now, Paul's being obviously facetious here in his, his comments to them. And then he gives an answer. And why not say, we, as we are uh, slanderers... Okay, so Paul, Paul makes this statement that this is what's being said about him. That they're being slandered reports and has come uh, as claims that we say let let us do evil so good may come so what paul is saying here he, he says you know in verse 7 can i lie so that god's glory has come 
why am I being judged for sinning if God's glory is coming from it? And the, the argument here is Paul had been accused and people that were associated with Paul were being, accusing him of saying, let us do evil so that good may come. Let us do evil so that good may come. And Paul here strongly uh, refutes that and says their condemnation will be just. The condemnation that they will fall under for these statements and these beliefs will be judged. God will swiftly and accurately and righteously judge them for this. Okay? If you go ahead to Romans 6 verse 1, Paul makes a similar statement here. Romans chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, What shall we say? And he fully uh, explains this argument in this passage, but we'll just read this verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Who shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's talking to the believers here. If you have died to sin and are alive in Christ, how can you live and indulge in sin any longer? We are not to see as believers how much we can sin so that God's grace will be even greater. That is not the point of His grace. The point of His grace is not so that we can sin more. It's so that we will recognize that we are sinners and try and follow His precepts and be closely drawn to Him. Our sin does what? What does our sin do to our relationship with God? It separates us. Okay? Now, when my children do something wrong, or when your children, or those of you that have, have had children that are younger and remember or have them now, when your children did something wrong, did that draw you closer to them? When they lied to you, when they deceived you, when they broke your favorite uh, vase, or their, you know, whatever they did as kids, you come home and, look, Mom, I drew all over the walls just for you. It draws you so dear to them, Right? You know, you know what we're talking about. You just lo- fall in love with your children. You and you see your brand new refrigerator has got permanent marker written all over it. You're drawn closer to them. No. You don't desire as parents to see your children sin as much as they can so that you can show that you love them. Right? Is that what we desire as parents? Please sin as much as you can so that I can love you more. That's the argument that they're trying to give here with Paul. We should sin as much as we can so that God can show His love to us more. No, we desire our children to follow in the desires that we lay out as parents. And as they do um, follow in those, our relationship is closer and it's loving and it's wonderful. When they do sin... We are still loving and show compassion even though we discipline. 
Um, and though there might be a strain for a little while, the relationship is brought back together. That's the picture of our relationship with Christ. The only difference is Christ is perfect in it. As parents, we aren't. His relationship to us is perfect. He is perfect in His judgment. And he is perfect in His love. He is perfect in His grace. Okay? Um, and we as parents fail... I'm not always as loving as I should be. But the, the analogy given here is that as parents, we desire our children to obey so that our relationship is strong. As, and God desires our relationship to be strong um, and does not desire us to sin so that He can some weird way to show His grace even greater. Okay? God's grace is sufficient and wonderful and glorious whether we sin or not. With the world being perfect, His grace is still wonderful. With the world being in wicked, gross sin, His grace is wonderful. God's grace is not dependent, or the glory in God's grace is not dependent on us. He is perfectly glorious in it. We as humans see it and say, and glorify Him because we know the sinfulness of our hearts. And we never want to get to a point as believers where we say, well, God's glorified in my sin. God is glorified when we glorify Him in righteous deeds. He is glorified in my sin because His grace abounds in that. But that is not the desire of the believer to sin so that we can show His grace. We get the benefit of God's grace even though we sin. And He is glorified in that. But we do not want to, as believers think, then gives us free reign to sin. And that's what Paul was being accused of, is, of teaching, is do what you want. Because God's glory is, is going to be displayed either way. Okay, We've got like two minutes. Any other questions or thoughts here? We, man. And as I, I've stated a couple times now, and I stated in our opening, as we go through the book of Romans, it's going to give us the ability to answer the vast majority of questions about God's righteousness, God's salvation, His glory, uh, the gospel, what we're believes in sin. All of those questions that are going to come to us through the, the pagan or the world, we'll be able to give a sound biblical answer as we go through the, word, uh, the book of Romans. And so if you get the question, which probably was not going to come up a lot, but you might, it will come up, that well, so you're just saying that you can sin no matter what and God's glorified. And you'll be able to go back and say, hey, you know what? Let me, let me uh, grab my book and my, my book from the book of Romans that Mark and, and Dean taught and I, I'll give you an answer to that. Or you might just remember the answer and say, you know what? Go to... And, and it's always a very, very good thing. Not always... Not everybody's bent this way. But it's a very good thing when someone gives you an argument and you can say, well, you know, in Romans chapter number 3 it says this. It oftentimes causes them to say, oh, this person, 
knows their Bible. And, I, and I'm not going to sit here and argue with them because they came up with, you know Romans 3 uh, says this? 3 and verse 8 says that this is not right and you're going to be judged for that kind of thought process. And that Romans 6 and verse 1 says that we should not, they're not going to sit there and want to argue with you and then you'll be able to share the Word of God. And that is our goal as, as Bible teachers. I know Dean's goal and my goal is that we leave here able to teach and expound the Word of God to the unbelieving people so that we can share ultimately the gospel in love. Amen? Okay, so we'll continue one more week in uh, this train of thought and then we will dive in and change gears and Paul gets much more on a positive idea and positive note on salvation uh, here coming up in a couple weeks. Okay? Well, let's pray real quick and then we will fellowship for a few minutes. Lord, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you that you teach us in it, that you show who you are, uh, Lord, and that we do have a great benefit and that we have your word. We live in a country that gives us that benefit. And Lord, I pray that we would never uh, forget how blessed we are as a people. And Lord, that we would never desire to sin so that you would be glorified. That we would desire to walk in your precepts and walk in your word. And that way you will be glorified. And Lord, we just glorify and honor you today because you are our great king. We love you and thank you in your name. Amen.